This episode is brought to you by GME. Since 1959, GME has been an Australian-owned family company and remains the only Australian manufacturer of UHF CB radios, with their products designed, engineered and manufactured in Sydney's northwest. GME's products cover a range of recreational activities, from fishing to four-wheel driving and touring, in addition to catering for heavy vehicles and agriculture. GME have released a limited edition range of pink products to raise money for the McGrath Foundation to assist in their tireless efforts of funding regional breast care nurses and supporting families in communities across regional Australia. You can find out more by finding them on Facebook, Instagram or at gme.net.au. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. Everything in Willie Cook's life was going to plan. He'd met the love of his life. He split his time between flying helicopters and working on his family station in the high country of New Zealand, and together with his partner and parents, he'd branched out into his own lease country. And then it all came crashing down. In this episode, Willie shares a story of how the global financial crisis in 2008 saw he and his family lose absolutely everything they had, and how he came to Australia for a fresh start. Willie, his wife Liz, and their two young sons have been in Australia for less than a decade, and they've already made serious headway in rebuilding their lives, as well as capturing the hearts of the nation through their time on the ABC TV series Outback Ringer. To start our chat, I asked Willie to tell me all about the great love story of how he and Lizzie met. And then at some point in time, you fell in love. And yeah. as somebody who's listened to the podcast, you know, I love a good love story. So, spill. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was I was right into rodeo as well. And anyway, I was going around the circuit with my mates and, um, you know, I was at Walk Tip Rodeo and I just finished a, um, I just finished a second divvy steer ride. Yeah, we and I come around to the bank to sit down, and then there was this girl sitting there with blonde curly hair, and she was talking away to a few people, and I was just sort of like looking. I was going, "Who's that?" And anyway, and yeah, it was it was pretty cool actually. Um, God, yeah, from the moment I laid eyes on Lizzie, you know, I I basically did. I fell in love straight away actually, and 
yeah, she. So I ended up having a bit of a yarn to her that night, and um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And yeah, she sort of just brushed me off, I think, really. And yeah, I sort of walked away feeling a bit empty after that. But anyway, and then um, yeah, it was about a month later. Oh yeah, and I, I got home that from that rodeo, and I I went and I was having yarn to mum, and I told mum, I said, I've met this bloody girl called Lizzie and um, she's just amazing. And I said, I'll tell you what, mum, I said, if I ever get married, it'll be to this girl. And mum sort of looked at me and giggled a bit, said, oh, yeah, whatever. And anyways, about a month later, I got a phone call from a friend and he said, um, mate, we're going on a horse trek. And I was like, oh, Christ, I don't, I'm bloody busy. I don't really want to go on a freaking horse trek anyway. And he goes, oh, I just thought I'd give you a ring, but um, look, Lizzie's going to be on it. And um, she's, um, you know, obviously just back from America and um, she needs a horse as well. And I was like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. Oh, look, I'm, I'm free actually. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, I'll go home and, um, yeah, and I did. I got straight into my ute. <laughs> I roared home. I hooked on the horse float and mum's coming out going, what are you doing? And I said, mate, I need to borrow, grab two of these horses and, um, yeah, so... Loaded up and mum's looking at me laughing and she said, is Lizzie going to be somewhere around there? And I said, yes, actually, that's why I need the second horse. So anyway, ripped over, met Lizzie and, um, yeah, and saddled everything up and then away we went on this big horse trek together and, yeah, I'll never forget it. And that's, yeah, we sort of, our relationship blossomed from there really and we've been together ever since. Oh, my gosh. How old were you at the time? I was 19. Uh, uh, sorry, 20. I was 20. Okay. Yeah, when I, when I first met Liz. And yeah. so was she at the rodeo as a barrel racer? No, Lizzie had just got back from America. Um, she'd been over there riding cutting horses and she just got back and decided to go to the rodeo. And oh. we didn't know it, but we, we had the same friends, but we'd never met. And, um, so yeah, it was just lucky that I did meet her. So yeah, it was lucky I went to that rodeo. Cause the first time I met Lizzie, um, she was in the barrel race at, uh, brunette rodeo, but she also yep. did this. Was it the steer ride? <laughs> she did. Yeah, she jumped on a bullock. Yeah, she did a bullock ride. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, she did a bloody good job too. Because just yeah. then, when you were saying that, so in my mind, I had it that maybe she was a barrel racer when she's younger, and then you said that you'd done like a steer ride, and I was like, hang on, this is the plot line from Eight Seconds. Yeah, no, God, <laughs> like this is a movie. I was like, I've heard this story somewhere <laughs> yeah. before. No, well, um, yeah, and that's sort of how we we hooked up. And then, yeah, Lizzie was um, nursing at the time as well. She was finishing off her degree there and doing that. And so, yeah, and I was in Central Otago um, flying and um, shooting and mustering and, and I'd just travel down on the weekends. And then, um, yeah, we, yeah, you know, it was back in the day then, like, had to ask mum and dad, like, was it all right for Liz to come and stay and do all that and, you know, yeah, it was quite an interesting, you know, it was bloody good too though. And, um, Liz would come up for the weekends and yeah, we'd go and do all sorts of fun things and do all that. And then, um, then she moved in. So, um, yeah, and we've sort of been together ever since. And yeah, it was a bloody good time. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, and it was really good in New Zealand. Like every year we did the radio circuit. She would always have time off nursing. I would, dad give me time away from the station and, you know, we'd go away for two weeks and do the rodeo circuit and, um, great, you know, great bunch of friends. And, um, you know, it was just a fantastic time. And that's one I always look back to is, you know, it was bloody good. And yeah, had a lot of fun doing it, Steph. That's for sure. So Lizzie moved in. Was that to the home block? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was to a place called Locker Downs where, um, yeah, mum and dad and we were all based. And yeah, it was a really, really good time. There was, um, basically 10 of us there by, um, 
my brother and sister and their partners and then our workers as well. So it was a very sociable um, place and, yeah, we had a lot of fun. That was, yeah, it was bloody good. So what was the plan from that point out then? You know, were you, um, did you have to try and convince Lizzie that like, hey, I'm, I'm from a station and this is kind of what I want to do. Is this something you might want to do? Or, or was she like, hey, let's go live somewhere else? Like, how did you kind of figure out where you want to be based and what kind of life you wanted to live together? Yeah. It w- um, well, with Liz coming from a high country property as well, I mean, Liz was only an hour away from me in a, in the Omakau Valley and, her family owned Blackstone Hill Station, which is a very iconic place. And uh, I think uh, Lizzie's nephew now, I think he's sixth generation on the property. So um, she's always had, you know, high country um, and farming connections. And so, yeah, it just seemed to work for us. Um, she and I had her, had our horses there and we loved our rodeo and had a great bunch of friends there. And Liz had a, got a really, really good job in Wanaka, so... That was even closer to my property, so it made more sense for her to move in. And uh, it just everything worked out good. And, you know, we just bloody loved hanging out for each other. And um, we had a great time. And yeah, it worked really well. And mum and dad just absolutely adored her. Um, so yeah, it was all really good. Uh, they used to bloody gang up on me a fair bit. And I remember mum saying that if we ever split up, that I had to leave. So it was, um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, that, mum. That was, her, that was the connection there with the parents. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we had a great time. It was a wonderful time of life, that's for sure, Steph. And so, as I guess, as things progressed and you guys got more serious, you started to venture into your own sort of business together. Tell us about that because I suppose <clears> you started to build a life together and what we're about to get up to is, you know, there was sort of a shift in that at, at some point. But yeah. please talk to us about when things were going well. Well, things were going extremely well. You know, land value just increased astronomical in, in our basin. Um you know, land values were almost bloody unrealistic, really, because we had a grape, um, a grape yard. Well, sorry, grapevine boom um, with uh, wineries and vineyards and that, and they were sourcing land and you know, sort of a lot of dry land and stuff that we really didn't really have a lot of use for. Suddenly, become worth forty to fifty thousand dollars a hectare. So, you know, there was a hell of a boom there. You know, Lizzie and I decided that we, you know, wanted to be part of the business and start working. Well, start working towards being a part of the business and. Uh, we leased uh, two or three properties um, over a sort of four or five year period and we were going along really well and, you know, I had my helicopter licence and, you know, it, it was a it was a full-time job, you know, flying at home um, plus doing outside outside mustering and shooting for people and, um, and then running all the places in conjunction with mum and dad. So, um, yeah, it was it was bloody good. So how old would you have been at the time when you're leasing other properties? Uh, I think I got my first lease when I was 22, yeah, Holy 22 years box. old. Okay, yeah. so so you're leasing a property and you just said those about being in conjunction with mum and dad. So were you guys <clears throat> kind of in partnership or? We formed a partnership, um, obviously being 22 years old and um, I had a little bit of money, uh, saved up a, a fair bit and um, Lizzie had a bit of money as well, so. But we had to have sort of guarantors and, you know, that was, uh, I suppose, the job of the big place. And, and also Locker Downs um, did all the breeding and then all the animals that were bred at home and weaned would then go to the various lease places uh, depending on their type and what they were. And so, you know, um, Locker Downs was sort of like the heart um, of the whole operation and and it, then it just sort of, um, everything sort of ventured out from there and, um, yeah, it worked really good. You know, the height of it, I think we had about 15,000 merinos and sort of a hundred and, uh, sorry, 1,050 breeding Herefords and Anguses. And then, 
um, had all the deer as well, um, had about 800 deer total. So it was a pretty big operation and, um, yeah, so it was very, very good. And, um, unfortunately then we had the 2008 sort of recession start to hit and, um, you know, we were fine. We thought everything was going really good and, you know, Europe collapsed and we were, um, with a bank who were, Obviously influenced by a lot of what happened over there and unfortunately they, um, you know, they revalued everything and basically our land values went from sort of in the 20s to 30 million and sort of dropped down closer to the sort of the number where our debt was and without really giving you an opportunity or, you know, I mean, nothing had changed as far as we were concerned. I mean, you know, okay, our equities dropped, but I mean, we're not looking at selling, we're not doing anything like that, we're still profitable and you know, it'll be a shift in the market and it will correct itself. Just stay with us, you know, stand by us. And um, unfortunately, they didn't. I was, you know, I mean, our fam- you know, I was sort of, I had to grow up very, very quickly there because, um, you know, and I'd take on a hell of a lot of responsibility as far as uh, meetings with the bank and, you know, the people we employed to help guide us through this um, situation. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I learned a hell of a lot in sort of a three-year period because, you know, we did fight. Um, we didn't want to go and we didn't believe we should have to go and um, the banks did make it very difficult for us. You know, they wouldn't renew working capital accounts, charge you 18% interest, like they did everything they could to try and hamstring you and um, it was more a lot of people went out of because they were forced out and but we just, we fought and fought and fought and, um, yeah, and it was it was very, very, it was a hard time Um and, um, yeah, one that, you know, real, you know, and it lingered on as well. And Lizzie and I were engaged, you see, and I must have been 20, I think I was 26, 27 when this happened. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget that, you know, the, when it really pushed come to shove and the banks had walked in properly, um, Lizzie and I were getting married the next day. Jesus. And so I remember standing up the aisle and, um, yeah, sort of head down waiting for Liz to walk up and my mind was just elsewhere, eh? just thinking about how the hell are we going to get out of this? What are we going to do? How are we going to circumnavigate this one? Who can I employ to help us see, you know, get through this? How can I get to the credit committee in Sydney? How can I do this? It was all these sort of things going through your head. And so, and Lizzie and I had always said, oh, we'll get married when we get our ducks in a row. And, um, you know, life will be perfect and grand and, you know, oh, Christ, we won't have to worry about anything and, oh, shit, it'll be good. Well, we got married at probably the worst time we could ever think to get married um, when we had the most shit going on. And um, But as mum always said, she goes, that was the one good thing that come out of it, you know. It um, brought our family some bloody peace, I suppose. But, you know, it, it was a tough time, Steph, and it was a bloody hard pill to swallow, but... We just had to lick our wounds and we had to go. That was all it was. We had to pack up everything we'd ever known, everything my mum and dad had ever known, and um, leave everything behind. And we had to basically walk out and, um, yeah, and go, start again. Just puts a whole new emphasis on the vows at your wedding, for better or for worse, because <laughs> you're quite literally marrying each other at Christ. your worst in a way. Yeah, but so oats. let me make sure I understand this correctly. You have a business or your parents have a business. It's been in the family for decades and decades. You guys have gone out and leased some country. The, the land value is, you know, X amount and then say, and then you've got a level of debt, which is a healthy serviceable le- level of debt relative to the land value. So, you know, you've got good equity, but then 
overnight, more or less, the banks just completely just basically if you have a piece of paper with the land value on it, they've just ripped it up in front of you, which has brought down the land Absolutely. value to match more or less your level of debt. 100%. And accurate. they've just been like, it just feels very much like what happened, I mean, slightly different circumstances, but to so many people in Australia in 2013 when um, ANZ bought the, the debt off Landmark. And it's just, and like you said, you tried to fight it for a few years and like there was, it wasn't that you guys were running a show or overextending yourself, like by judging off the land value, which you don't set, like that's set by someone else. Like you were running a business that was meeting all the requirements. And just because somebody changed one number somewhere else on a computer, that changed, you know, what your balance sheet and everything else look like. So it's it not, was, it's not like you guys were being wild and running oh, no, a bad business. Like. Honestly, yeah, well, we're, Definitely at fault as well because I mean we were in a situation where um you know the you know the, there's two sides obviously to it you know and the banks did shift the goalposts but previous to that you know when your equity was up as and had grown so much and yeah I mean obviously to their standards we had extended ourselves we were happy we were comfortable um you know had we had no debt you know obviously it wouldn't have happened but i mean to move forward you do have to grow you do have to borrow money um we were at a safe level that we felt um the bank and it, and it is and it is a hard thing i mean goalposts do get shifted regularly and that is definitely one thing that i've taken out of it you know um there is a silver lining to every cloud and and that there probably was the biggest thing for me was that um learning that nothing is stable goalposts do shift and yeah to be careful um so you know it, it it was a hard time but i did take a lot out of it and um you know there are many parties at fault um you can't just assign blame 100 percent, unfortunately to to one to the bank i mean it wouldn't be fair um but yeah what what they did to us wasn't fair but um you know there are two sides and unfortunately we had probably been lured into a false sense that, you know, the equity is going to stay up there forever. And, and I mean, even though we were at a level we were happy with, uh, we were growing, we were making it, um, it was all going good. But to them, that wasn't um, after Europe collapsed, you know. While it was still going, as you're saying, um, one day everything's fine, the next day it's not. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it was a bloody tough time, a hell of a tough time and, um, and it wasn't just us, you know, that's the hard thing either. Um, I just feel like it's one thing to shift the goalposts though, but I feel like these goalposts are ripped out of the ground and moved to the other end of the oval. We did feel like that. Yeah. Like there's, I mean, cause we, you, you alluded to some numbers then, but also off air and I, I'm not, I'm going to ask you to share them, but like the change is, I mean, I feel like that's a little bit more than just a shift <laughs> in the goalposts. Well, the biggest and- problem was everyone was scared, you know, when that mm. recession hit, no one knew where the bottom of it was. And, um, you know, the more, the more I reflect back on it, the more I've learned about that time as well. And, um, you know, there are, there are a hell of a lot of people in all different industries that, you know, that copped it. It wasn't just agriculture. Um, so, you know, the world, um, responded and you know that's what happened and we've all learnt from it and it's just as long as we you know take those lessons moving forward and um, apply it to our business today and hopefully don't overextend ourselves and you know we should be right. And so you lost everything and did your parents like did the whole business the whole partnership everything involved? Yeah yeah the whole partnership um, because Lizzie and I were included under the umbrella um, of the the main outfit yeah the the banks were were pretty keen to take the whole lot so um, 
Yeah, it was back to the drawing board. Um, it was a hell of a hard time. Freshly married. I remember Lizzie was, uh, when we finally didn't leave, um, we had a little boy, Charlie. He was, um, I think he was about two years old when that happened, uh, when we finally had to leave. And, um, yeah, we were very lucky enough that we went to Lizzie's parents' place and, um, started a, well, you know, they had a spare house there. And so, yeah, we went there and, um, I found it so tough, you know, coming from running our own operation and doing everything that I've done in my life to then the ability to, you know, I had all the ability in the world, but I had nothing to do. I didn't know where to go. Um, you know, yeah, it was, it was a bloody hard time. And, um, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And, and also it was very hard on other people. Like other people, like a lot of our friends didn't really know how to treat us. Like, do they give us sympathy? You know, do they, which I didn't want. Um, you know, and they couldn't really say, Hey, well, Willie, what have you been up to? You know, and it was, it was a hard and I just needed to get out. Um, and I was very lucky that, you know, a good friend of ours, Harvey Harden, who had, you know, done a bit of shooting for him that pre, um, you know, previous years, he, um, had a contact over here in the Northern Territory, owned a lot of helicopters. And, um, anyway, I managed to get a job flying for Milton and Christina Jones and, um, NAH. And so Lizzie and I sat down and, you know, I said, you know, I want to go. I've, I've got to go. There's nothing here for me. And as far as moving forward, I said, if we're ever going to get back to farm ownership or a business, I said, there's just nothing here in New Zealand, Liz. And, you know, Lizzie's parents um, were bloody wonderful. And um, her brother, um, he now has taken over Blackstone Hill. And I didn't really want to work for anyone, you know, sort of, I was sort of thinking, well, that's it, you know, for me, there's no way I can rebuild. And so decision was made and Liz said, yeah, well, off you go then, go and have a crack. And, um, and that was the start of our second chapter of our life, really. And yeah, and just really never looked back and just found my feet again and, um, found the confidence. It sounds, I mean, like there was such a very clearly defined turning point in your life and that pivotal moment of the GFC and kind of everything, you know, losing the family place. I, I, while it sounds so clearly <clears throat> defined, how long of a time period would you say that played out over? Because if the GFC was, say, 2007, 2008, but you didn't come to Australia till 2014, was yeah, it? Was in a 20, uh, 20, yeah, 2013, actually, I think. Mm. Yeah, 2013. So was it, was it kind of, I know you said like you were trying to fight the banks for a while as well. Yeah. Did that kind of draw out over those like it did. five years? Yeah, it did. It really, it drew out. That's um, got to be like living, sort of, in, living in limbo. Yeah, it sort of happened. Oh, I don't know if you want to put this on or not, but it sort of happened in 2008, 2009, the effects were felt. 2010, they come after us. 2011, we fought them. 12, we fought them. 13, we were out. And 14, I was here. 14, yeah, and actually, I think it was 2013, sorry, Steph. 2013, I was here. That's just yeah. going to be like, it's hard enough to go through that, but to have it be such a drawn out. Oh, it was, it process. consumed our life. Like, how absolutely. do you, how do you, um, cause you don't want to live your life going, I've just got to get through this. I've just got to get through this. And the next minute you've just lost like five years of your life because <laughs> you've just been trying to see through the other end of the tunnel. But how do you stop and smell the roses and enjoy life when you've got that hanging over your head and you don't know, I guess that's the thing, you don't know when it's going to end. Yeah. Well, that was it. I mean, we thought, we honestly thought we were going to, we were going to beat them and um, we were going to be right and carry on. And that's why we, obviously we put so much time and effort into it. And yeah, it did. It consumed all of our lives. And 
in some respects, once it was over, it was over. It was, you know, it was finished. Um, is it hard to find a new normal because you've spent <laughs> so much of your life and your, and like, then your identity for that period of time is like, this is me and my purpose is to fight this, you know, David versus Goliath yeah. battle and, and win this. And the next minute it's over and you're like, shit, what do I do with myself now? Yeah. Well, that was it. And that was the hard thing of finding a new, not only a new purpose, but you know, well, I suppose a new purpose, but starting a new life. Like, what was I going to do? And I was just very lucky that I had those um, qualifications and the skill of being able to fly a helicopter. So um, I was able to apply it over here in Australia, um, which, you know, gave us an opportunity and a a release, I suppose, and a new outlook on life and a new opportunity. So I suppose the other thing is it's not just you and Liz that have lost something, like your parents and and your siblings, anyone else in the family that is tied to that home block, they – they lost something as well. How did you go trying to manage and look after yourself, but then also trying to, like your parents are going through the same thing. Like it was, yeah, that's got to be so incredibly tough. It was very hard on mum and dad. Um, yeah, not going to lie there. Bloody hard. And, um, what they went through, you know, I mean, the biggest thing was Liz and I can probably rebound from it. You know, we could grow again. Very hard for mum and dad in their sixties to, um, you know, start fresh and rebuild and do all that. But to their credit, they did. Um, you know, dad's, he's fought for everything in his life and he, you know, he'll continue to fight and he's done bloody well. And, um, you know, he, he's, you know, he, he's done well. And we love having him over here in Australia every year, apart from this last two years of COVID. But dad always comes over, helps us at Bohemia and, um, does a lot of fencing and whatnot. And, he gets to sort of travel around there and visit all the kids. So, uh, he, you know, he's back to it and enjoying life and that again now. And, um, yeah, bit of a hard, hard blow. Um, we lost, uh, mother five years ago now. Um, yeah, Annie, she unfortunately passed away. Um, she got a prick from a rose bush and, um, in her bloody garden and, you know, roses had sort of been mum's life, you know, and that, that was a big hard thing for mum was leaving our family farm because, you know, it's a place where she'd put all her time and effort into and we had a beautiful garden and, um, yeah, she was, um, she was very well known person in our area and it was a, you know, bloody hard actually, but, um, yeah. And so anyway, we, when mum and dad moved to the, the new block that we were able to lease for them and sort of, you know, so they could find their feet again. Um, mum still was very active and rode her horses all the time and kept fit and, you know, looking for the next thing. And then unfortunately she bloody, I don't know how it happened, but she, um, she slipped over while she was leading her horse and, um, she pulled a muscle in the left hand side of her shoulder. And that's what she thought it was. But at the same time, she'd pricked herself. In the garden, and um, yeah, and so Mum's really sore and carrying on, and um, yeah, and we didn't really know. And then she's like, "Oh, I'll be okay. I've just bloody torn my shoulder. You know, it's it's just a bit sore. I slipped over, kept walking the horse down the hill." And um, anyway, so you know, and then the next day, Mum become worse and went downhill really quickly. And um, yeah, so Liz rushed her straight to the medical centre and. Um, yeah, I'll never forget helping her out to the car because mum and I always joked and laughed at each other and carried on and she always used to give me shit if I was sore from rugby or whatever and I remember looking at her and I was like, Jesus, mum, come on, you better perk up a bit, you look like you're going to cark it. And that was the last words I ever spoke to my mum. I remember mum just gave me a nudge in the ribs and said, I'll be right. And um, unfortunately this 
it was an infection that was creeping across the left-hand side of her towards her heart. It wasn't the pulled muscle from the horse. And um, she developed necrosing fasciitis. It was a flesh-eating disease, and it ate her from the inside out. And unfortunately, um, yeah, it was just too late. Um, she went into surgery, and she never came out. So um, hell of a rough, bloody time that was. And, um, yeah, so, look, we had some knocks. Put it that way, Steph. We had some when knocks. It- when it rains, it pours, and oh, it feels God, like the yeah. wet season from hell for you. It like, oh my was. God, it was. That is, um, that is a devastating. Hard. I mean, the whole turn of events, the whole, I don't know, seven, eight year period is just. It was hard. Yeah, savage. Yeah, it was savage. I'm just so glad that you were that because I know you came over to Australia, but at least you were still there when Mum. Well, the, like, and you, you weren't so far away from home. Like what it was, we actually, um, we'd all come home for Christmas that year. So we were all back in New Zealand. Um, Lizzie and I since had, uh, sort of bohemia and, um, and were catching bulls flat out by then. But, um, yeah, we come out, all of us and my sister had her 30th birthday. And so we were all together. And then, yeah, just, um, yeah, actually my little brother had just gone back to Perth after Christmas and, um, Anyway, but yeah, we had a wonderful time and all been together, thank Christ, and spent a lot of time together. So, um, I suppose that's one consolation to it. But, um, and then obviously, yeah, mum fell sick, um, in January. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was over pretty quick. But yeah, I was lucky that Lizzie and I were home at that time and my little sister. Uh, but yeah, Hamish had to fly back over pretty directly. And unfortunately, yeah, he got there too late, but. Bloody hell, the things you guys have been through. It was hard, Steph, I'm not going to lie. And um, definitely, you know, you sort of ask yourself a lot too, you're like, fuck me, dead, you know, when is this going to end? And you just, I suppose you just got to keep getting up and, you know, keep cracking on. And, um, yeah, it was a bloody hard pill to swallow and, yeah, it was just such a rough time for our family. But, um, you know... I suppose, um, apart from mum, but we got through it, you know, and I suppose it's because we are such a tight unit and um, great support and great people around us. Um, that's what got us through it, you know. If it's all right, I'd like to – I just want to make it very clear to the listeners <clears throat> because this story is going to be – it doesn't does happy, guys. There is a happy ending. Um, but I just want to make it very clear, like, what you guys – where how low you got – so that when we hopefully get to the end of this episode and show where you are now, that the full, um, you know, length or, or scale of this journey can be appreciated. That when you say like the banks took everything, like they took everything. I just, I just, I'm just thinking you said you told me a story that when you guys left the house the day that you left the property, like you were, looking for coins in the couch. Yeah. Like that's – that's because I, I just don't <laughs> that, want somebody to think like, oh, well, maybe they walked away with a bit of money in the bank and around. Uh, like, that like was they, the level of it, Steph. Yeah. That was the level of it. When I walked out of the homestead um, to get the motor car, I was the last one to leave. And, uh, geez, I was pissed off. Um, but anyway, I had to go. And I remember that lifting up all the cushions on the couch and sifting around there just making sure it had every bit of coin – Hopefully, you know, if a visitor had dropped a note or something down there, I was looking for everything because we had literally nothing. Um, and yeah, and we needed that money so we could buy milk powder for, for Charlie. And, um, yeah, and when we did shift out, you know, Liz was pregnant with Blake. Um, 
So, yeah, look, we're very lucky that Lizzie's, you know, if it wasn't for Lizzie's parents, um, you know, I don't know what we would have done. And um, they were very, very good. Um, they weren't judgmental or anything like that. They just took us in and um, I've always had a really good relationship with Lizzie's father. But, um, yeah, bloody embarrassing though. Like, you know, being a son-in-law, you feel like a complete failure. And, um, you know, you ask him if you can marry his daughter and you're going to give her a good life, you're going to look after her to the best of your ability, you're going to do everything well, and then you turn up on his doorstep going, yeah, well, we fucked that one up. Um, might need some help, big fella. You know, it was so embarrassing for me. And um, But, yeah, he was really, really good. And, um, and you know, and Ralph, uh, which is Lizzie's father, he was a hell of an influence to me, you know, to make sure that I did keep going and keep firing and, you know, you always used to say to me, you know, you'll be right, you know, just give it some time. You need time to process what's happened. And he goes, oh, I have big faith in you, Willie Cook. And he's like, you'll be right. And he goes, you're a tough bastard. He goes, you'll bounce back. And, you know, it's words like that that kept me going. So after, um, I mean, what we've just spoken about, that kind of took place over a, a several-year period. Like you said, 2007, 8, 9 was like GFC and when the values went down, was it, do you say it was 2010 the bank came knocking? 2011? Yeah, 2010, 2011 um, and 20, 2012 we were out and 2013 was in Australia. So, I mean, yeah, it's played played out over a few years when, how long after you actually had to physically walk away from that home property was it before you landed on Australian soil? Um, I think it was about six months. Um, you know, we left in the in the late summer, um, 2012, and then, yeah. Well, I mean, I I had to get a job, and um, which is interesting, and yeah, very very thankful. Um, you know, and I was offered a lot of jobs, which was great. Um, we had a lot of support in the in the basin um, where I lived, and um, people were fantastic and. Yeah, I was offered work like nothing else. So very, very appreciative to all those people who, who helped us out in that time. And, um, yeah, and our silage contractor, Honk, um, who the year before, you know, we'd, we'd, you know, he'd made our silage and we'd paid him a shitload of money. And then lo and behold, the year later, I'm driving one of his machines trying to, you know, getting paid a wage. So it was a hell of a role reverse, but, um, very thankful to him. And, um, yeah. And he paid me well, and we worked hard, and um, I was still able to um, still do a. I did a lot of contract shooting, I leased a helicopter, and I still was very lucky. All those clients um, who were still that pest destruction work for, they um, stayed with us. Um, I leased a helicopter, and we carried on shooting, and we were able to make a little bit of money. And um, but you know, it, it, it wasn't enough, you know, and, and I was never going to build back. Um, so yeah, and then it came the decision, and I don't always want to fly in Australia, so I reckon be very careful what you wish for because it <laughs> might just happen. And I'd always seen these um, mustering pilots in Australia, and I'd always wanted to go and do it. So um, and then yeah, I was lucky enough to um, have an opportunity to fly over here and get a job and get paid for it. And um, so yeah, decision was made and uh, saved a little bit of money. Um, we're able to afford a ticket for me to get over here and um very very hard though for Liz um we just had Blake um Blake was 6 weeks old when I left so um 
And, and that's your second child? That was our second child, yeah. Charlie oldest and Blake number two and um, six weeks old. So I left. I left Lizzie. I left my wife and um, two children and went to the outback in uh, Northern Territory, Australia. And, yeah, I didn't see them again for nine months. Can I ask, why Australia, though? Like, what you said it was going to be basically impossible to rebuild in New Zealand. So was the idea come to Australia and the money that you make here is worth more in New Zealand than the New Zealand dollar? Like, is that kind of the idea that you <clears throat> make however much as a pilot over here versus over there, but when you come back home it would be worth more? The big thing for me was that um, I loved cattle. I loved farming. I love country life and I love helicopters. And Australia was the place that had it all, you know. It, um, not that I'd ever experienced it before, but um, from what I'd seen, people I'd talked to, it just, it was me. And I needed time to heal, I suppose, um, and to get over what we'd just been through. And as I say, I love flying and I love working cattle. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was where it, it just seemed to be a good fit for me. And I and I'd always start. wanted to do it, and it was a fresh start. That was probably the biggest thing was that you know I didn't want to stay in the valley. I didn't want to stay in the basin. Um, I just didn't want to drive past our station um, that you know where we all were and lived. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't keep driving past it, going to Wanaka or um, coming back from Wanaka or something like that. I just I needed to get out. I needed to reset. So um, that's why Australia was such a good fit for me. And I was always and I was able to, you know, fly helicopters and do the thing that I still loved and enjoyed. I guess in a way, like it, it's a clean slate. I mean, it's not the way anybody would wish to come to that point in their life to have the clean slate. But I know you said when you're a kid and and you were trying to decide what you wanted to do growing up, whether you kind of go down the farming or the flying route. To some extent, for, I feel like for people who've grown up on family places, there is, whether or not there's pressure from their family, there is some pressure there in that like you can either take the opportunity if you're able to, to go home, but if you don't, it's not necessarily that opportunity might not be there later on down the track. So you kind of need to jump on it while you've got it. Um, whereas now, uh, you know, so, so the idea of, you know, and it, it's also such a good opportunity if you can have it, you know, to, to kind of take on the family business. But now, so you may not can spend as much time considering or thinking doing something completely else because you've got this great opportunity in front of you. But now you find yourself in a position where that's no longer there. So it's kind of that. Oh, well, that clean was the reality. Slate. Yeah, that was the reality, Steph. There was no opportunity. There was no farm succession. There was nothing to succeed. There was nothing. So I was starting again. First generation, I had to go and rebuild my life. Um, love helicopters, love cattle, love the country, love the outback. So I was like, right, this is me. I'm going to go and I'm going to give it all I've got and I'll see where the chips lay. And so you had a, a connection in New Zealand who put you in touch with Milton and Christina Jones. <clears throat> and if those names sound familiar, people remember, I'm pretty sure it's 2010, was their TV show Keeping Up with the Joneses on Channel 10, I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think that had one or two seasons. So that's where if people are thinking those names are familiar and I think Milton's had a few books out and he's, he's one of, kind of one of the characters up in this part of the world. So what was it like? Did you kind of know who they were before? Because you got there, say, 2013. So they'd kind of already had their kind of moment in the spotlight. Did you kind of know who they were or was this just like they were 
anyone that was normal to you? Well, I'd, I'd seen the TV show, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a big hit in New Zealand. I mean, everyone just bloody loved it, and um, yeah, and definitely, and that's also what helped inspire me to, you know, want to go to Australia and fly, and and our young pilot now, um, Jack. I mean, Jack was a little kid when that first came out, and um, and you know, Milton was the reason that he wanted to get his pilot's license and come and fly in the outback. And I only found that out about a couple of months ago when Jack and I were talking, and yeah, and he said to me that then. So I mean, it was pretty influential, um, and it and it you know, and it did well, and people enjoyed watching it. So it's also ironic that now you are also on a TV show, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, kind of followed in some footsteps. Yeah, but um, I'm definitely thankful for um the time I spent. Um, with Milton and Christina at Cooley Bar. It was, it was a wonderful time. And, and as you say, that fresh start and Jesus, I was green. I, I could fly. Um, I could handle a helicopter, but my God, those cattle, like, um, nothing prepared me for that. It was just, um, yeah, it took a lot. Um, I was more of a hinder than a help. Um, as I say, I could fly, but I always seemed to be in the wrong position. I was always in the wrong spot. If Milton gave me directions, I'd get lost. Um, I even got sent home one day, which is the most embarrassing thing. But I got lost. Um, this country is so much different to New Zealand. Like we've got mountains, pinnacles, snow everywhere, landmarks over there. There's nothing. It was a foggy, rainy day, and I did. I have. Um, Milton still laughs about it now, but I got lost, and then no one could find me. Like, <laughs> oh God. Remember Milton saying, shut the helicopter down and then listen, see if you can hear me. I could only hear crickets and um, gentle pitter-patter of rain on the trees. I was like, holy shit. I had no idea where I was. Um, anyway, it was a hell of a learning curve. Um, but once I did get airborne and I found them, I was like, geez, I must have been 20, 30 mile away from them, eh? <laughs> And uh, it was when I went back to get fuel and on the way back I lost sight of one of the pilots and I must have kept going and kept going and kept going. And then, yeah, anyway, I got um, Milton goes, do you reckon you can find the river that leads back to Curly Bun? I said, oh, yeah, here we go. I'm going to get some instructions. And I was like, yep, yep, and find the river. And he's like, righto, find the river, follow it up till you hit Curly Bar, put the machine in the hangar. I went, oh, my heart just dropped, Steph. I've been shit canned from the master. And I think the master probably went really smoothly by that, you know, once I was away and I always seemed to be in the lead. And oh, Christ, it just seemed no matter what I did those first few days, I just couldn't do it. Like if a cattle beast ran at me or a Milton gave me a mob of cattle or something, I'd fucking lose them or they'd just disappear into thin air. They were like, it was like, for me, it was like herding chickens, you know. Because in New Zealand, you've got a mob of cattle, they don't run away, they don't break. If they do break, you get right in front of them and, you know, put your tail tail boom there and, you know, and they just turn around and they walk off the other direction. You do that in <laughs> Australia, you just made yourself a thousand different mobs, you know. It was a massive learning curve. But, um, and I was very, very lucky that Milton did persevere with me, you know. I mean, it would have been a perfect opportunity for him to say, look, mate, you're not going to cut it. I think it's time you're pissed off and start wasting my avgas and wasting my wages that I'm paying you, which at the time would have been a realistic thing for him to say, but he didn't, and he kept working with me, and every day, and I remember I remember ringing Dad and going, I've never been fired from anything in my life, Dad. And I said, I fucking think I'm going to get sacked here, and, you know, and I just explained to him what was going on, and 
And he said, you'll be right. And he said, you might have better stuff than that. And he goes, every day will get easier. And he was dead right, and every day did. And um, and then, yeah, I just kept growing from there, and I was lucky enough to get, you know, good training. And there are other senior pilots there who took me under their wing and um, and taught me, and that's just what it was. And I went through about a sort of another six-month process there of um, just learning, 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 learning. And then, yeah, it got e- it did, and it got easier. That's and so I got it, got it mastered. Well, no, I would never say I got it mastered, but you know, I got to a point got a where handle on it. I got a slight handle on it and got to a point where I was vaguely useful and could get sent to a job. So, um, and then just grew from there. So that was a hell of a lot of fun, but yeah, tough. Anyone who just thinks that a mustering pilot, someone just, you know, they can just fly around and just put a mob of cattle in and they just think, Oh, it just looks so it's not easy. It's not easy. So, um, yeah, next time you do see a mustering pilot, just appreciate what they have been through. Oh, and, God, um, you got, they've yeah. already got big enough egos. You don't need to be boosting oh, them anymore. Christ. Well, it was, it was tough for me going from the Southern Alps, New Zealand, and high country to just some of the toughest cattle that I'd ever known to man. You know, I just couldn't fathom how, like, yeah, one minute they're just right there. And Mil- Milton always said to me, never take your eye off them, Russ. And I always remember that now. But, um, yeah, shit, they were tough. They were tough cattle. I find that there's just so many things there. I love that you'd seen them on TV and that's who you end up working for in Australia. Also, I love that it sounds like there's a bit of a, um, you know, like that he kind of mentored you and helped you out there. Whereas I haven't met Milton yet, but he has a reputation of for being a very hard man, like a tough man. So I feel like it could have been quite easy, especially with all the stress you've been through in the last few years and then kind of being – you know, sounds like somewhat out of your depth mm. that, you know, that this all could have gone to shit very quickly. Like, but you, yeah. you both persevered <clears throat> and you've come like, so yeah. that, I think that's really I think neat. that's a very, very accurate description. Yeah. It was, um, I was completely out of my depth. There's no doubt about it. As I say, I could fly, you know what I mean? I had quite a few thousand hours when I come over here and, um, but yeah, but the big thing was learning the cattle and the education of where to put yourself, how to use your noise. Um, you know, all those sorts of things, how to work in a team environment with, you know, sometimes two or three other helicopters in the same paddock. And, yeah, no, it, it, and, yeah, it did it become easier and it was so enjoyable. It was so much fun and, um, yeah, and I really loved the yard work and running around there as well. Like, And that's why I suppose Coolie Bar was um, so good for me because there's such a variety. You weren't just flying all the time, you know. One day you are you know, drafting cattle and, and that was another good thing too, was learning all about the different types of cattle and how they worked and where their markets were. And, you know, I was just infatuated with business and that side of it. And I just didn't want to be a pilot and, you know, just do my day to day. I wanted to learn all aspects of the business. And, um, and Milton was very, very good at teaching me that too. Um, and yeah, and we, um, we got on good. Um, don't get me wrong, I got some bloody tune-ups and deserved every one of them too, you know, and looking back now especially, and yeah, I made some mistakes, but I mean, I was always going to, and um, yeah, as I say, I'm just lucky he persevered me, I suppose, but you know, I was sort of become productive for him later on that year, and um, yeah, and, you know, there's still, there's so many times even flying, you know, now that I um, think back that, you know, say if I had some tough cattle and I had to put through a gate, or, I'll, you know, I'll, use a trick or something that Milton taught me, you know, sort of seven, eight years ago, you know, now. And, um, yeah, so I'm very, very thankful that I was given that opportunity and, and that he, yeah, persevered with me. And, um, but, yeah, I worked as hard as I could for him. I ran everywhere. You know, I wanted to be the first one up. Um, you know, I did everything to the best of my ability. And, 
Um, you know, and I think maybe that's a factor why he might have given me a go or, you know, kept me there anyway. And, you know, I did, I tried my bloody hardest and, and I just tried to learn everything I could off him. You know, it, it's not every, every person's lucky enough to get that training as well. And, you know, and, and the depth that was in NAH, um, you know, if the pilots that were there, you know, you're just having a beer after work or something and just listening to their stories and hearing what they've done. And, you know, and they were all so good. Shit, they helped me through so much too and talk you through different situations. And um, and that that was, to me, probably one of the most enjoyable things was that team environment and then also having a bag and a swag and getting to go all over the top end and fly on all these different stations and meet people from all walks of life and all abilities and I just really enjoyed it eh? and it was um it probably was the funnest two years I've had um you know in existence was that time working there and flying and um yeah meeting all those people and just seeing all this country and you know you know a, a long ferry flight in New Zealand might be 20 mile 30 mile but to you know bring up your GPS over here and end up going over to a station somewhere or you know going over to the Barclay and tapping in 300 mile, you know, and, like, that was just unfathomable for me. And, like, having to fly, like, I mean, sometimes the ferries are longer over here than the jobs were in New Zealand. And, um, shit, it was just amazing. And and I knew then um, that this is where I wanted to be and this is what I want to do. And, um, yeah, so we were able to, um, you know, see out our time with um, with Milton and um, Christina and NH and, and then go and start our own. Sounds like it was a real circuit breaker for you. Bloody and yeah, I'm just thinking that that, you know, saying, you know, how you were a bit out of your depth when you first got here, I'm wondering if that was – I feel like that was probably an advantage for you, though, because you've just come out of however many years focused on this one, you know, you know, the farm and trying mm. to save it and all that. All your energy has gone into that. And now you kind of have no choice but to sink all your energy into like figuring out how to do your job here and, and learn all that. If you'd come into something that you could have done really easily and just kind of slid on in, you probably would have had a lot of mental space to keep thinking about. God, like, I like, wish I, I could have. I wish I could have just slipped on in there and just been really good at what I did. But yeah, Christ, yeah, that no, wasn't the case. So, but I wonder yeah. if you had been though, it might have given you. You might have had that mental space to keep thinking about home, whereas. Maybe mm. it filled up your mind so much about what was right in front of you. Um, oh, it did. It was just, it was, as I say, it was a, it was a new lease on life. It was a new beginning and it was, um, it was, it was fun and exciting and, you know, getting paid to fly a helicopter was just amazing. And, um, and as I say, all the people that we met and the different places that we went, we, different jobs that we did. Were you able to just be, Willie from New Zealand as well when you came over here or did you end up, did you find that you had to kind of go into your backstory about how you ended up here or was it just, hey, this is Willie, he's a Kiwi, let's not give him too much crap for being a Kiwi, he's going to do the muster <laughs> today. Like you could also kind of leave that behind as well, like you're not yeah, having could. to live that every day. There was only a couple of good friends over here, like Nick De Pasquale, Frank Hoare, uh, a couple of fellas like that that sort of knew my full story. Um, yeah, I was just Willie Cook from New Zealand. Um and yeah, a New Zealander, and um, I was given a fair bit of shit, but you know that broke the day up as well. And yeah, and all the station managers, owners, um, you know, it didn't matter where you went, they were just so bloody good and so polite. And um, you know, and I enjoyed that time after work, having a beer and having a yarn with them. And um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a great, it was a great experience. And um, 
God, yeah, I recommend any young pilot who wants to go and, you know, do that. Like, it is an amazing opportunity to see some of the most amazing country up here and, you know, and you work with bloody fantastic people and some really tough cattle and some really, really good cattle and, um, yeah, and also some, you know, the biggest thing for me was the the mobs of cattle, how big the mob was. Like, you had your hands full in New Zealand if you were mustering your, you know, 300 head. You know, that's a big, bloody big mob in New Zealand and they'd be stretched out a bit through high country stuff. You know, I think the biggest mob I've ever handled is, um, you know, coming out of, oh, Brunette, Anthony, um, you know, mustering those lakes down there, Lake Terrible, I think it was uh, 2014, 15, when those big floods were on, and I think um, I think it was 12, 13,000 heifers that we had just out, like, at the number nine ball. Um, you know, like, that was just amazing. And I've still got some bloody fantastic footage of, you know, all those cattle walking out, and they're stretched over 20 mile, you know. And um, So that was the big thing for me too, was just that, you know, you're lifting your skills and learning new things and handling big mobs. And, yeah, it was it was just, I just loved everything about it. Um, didn't matter... You know, how big a paddock it was, how small a paddock it was, Every everyone's got its challenges and, um, yeah, I just, I don't know, I th- thrived on that and and also something you didn't know what was going to happen either. So that made it also pretty exciting as well and, you know, that first six months just just blew past. It was just action-packed and, um, and, yeah, it was really, really fun, Steph. How long? So you said it was nine months until you saw Liz again. Is that when you went back to New Zealand for Christmas? No. Um, Milton um, gave me an opportunity then to come and manage um, the place up in Darwin. And so I'd be um, helping him sort of with all the young stock that would leave Coolie Bar and then get planted up here at uh, Lookabout and then fatten on the floodplain and then go to the boat. So he sort of gave me a little bit, um, you know, gave me a good opportunity there and and then, you know, we, we always talked a bit about Lizzie and the kids and that, and he said, you know, it might be a good opportunity and they can come over and there's a really nice house up there and you can look after that for me and then come back to Coolie Bar for the mustering season and just backwards and forwards. And, yeah, it was just perfect job, eh? It was the best job in the world because I had a little bit of freedom and, um, you know, Melvin told me what to do and I could, you know, actively go and do it on my own and, take a bit of responsibility again and you know which is what I was sort of looking forward to and um and then yeah and then sort of I was lucky I had the best of both worlds and then to have my family um to be then able to come over and be involved in it you know it was it was a very very exciting time and yeah it was bloody brilliant and yeah Lizzie at that stage had just had a surgery on her arm um and so yeah, she arrived. It was snowing in uh, Queenstown when she took off, and we, I didn't even know if the flight had even got off the ground, and hadn't heard from her. And and then so I waited at Darwin Airport, and then yeah, Charlie come running down the um, passageway from the plane, and he had that little um, like a little toy, all oh, that cloth called Hippo. And um, Hippo had been around for about three or four years, and was pretty bloody disgusting, but it was his favourite toy, and. I'll never forget it. Yeah, he ran down the aisle first and, um, you know, I saw him and then I was like, shit, where's mum? And then, you know, and then finally, like, Liz was exhausted. Three flights got there and, yeah, it was pretty cool to see her. And but a scary thing for me was, and that's probably one of the big things that changed what I wanted to do moving forward was, um, obviously Blake had no idea who I was. And when I gave Liz a hug and I was like, g'day wee man, like that, and, looked at Blake and went to give him a hug, he shied away from me and hid. 
and um, that was probably one of the biggest things that cut me, um, you know, and I was like, right, you've been away, you've reset yourself, you've got your family here now, now just, and I just wanted to then, I just didn't want them to go, so um, this trip was just a visit for Liz to make sure that she liked it and she was, um, you know, happy and, you know, and, and also for her to sort of get her feet on the ground and feel out, you know, the, the operation and, you know, was it going to be for, for us to stay there? And luckily, thankfully she did and, um, she liked it. So, um, yeah, she went home and it was pretty hard on her. She had to sell, um, she had, you know, two good horses there that she'd, um, trained and was heavily involved in barrel racing in New Zealand and she had to sell them. And, um, yeah, then she moved over and, and we started. So, um, there was, you know, and, uh, it was hard though. Um, the flying job was, was fantastic. It was good, but it was unpredictable. And, um, in the respect that I didn't know where I was going to be, you know, you're a bag and a swag and yeah, it's all cool. Well, listen, the kids are here, but you still got to go and you got to do your job. And that's the way it was, you know, Milton paid me and what he said, that's what I did. And, um, so yeah, I remember having to, I had to go down to the Barclay for floods. I told Liz, She'd only just arrived there too. I think I'd had two days with her. And I said, look, I've got to rip down to the Barclay. I'll be down there for six or seven days and the boys will get me home after that. There's other fellas that'll take over. Cause, you know, I've got to be back here to load cattle and do all that. So yeah, six or seven days. I come back seven weeks later. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Liz was thinking, what the hell have I done? And, um, anyway, that was good. But that was a definite decider for me too, Steph, that, you know, we need to do something moving forward and we all need to be together. So what can we do? Um, and yeah, and so we wanted to sort of, um, get into our own enterprise again. And, you know, cattle prices weren't really that good. Um, there was a fair low on the market, you know, after that sort of live ban, um, prices were, you know, they'd been decimated and, um, so it was an opportunity then, and they were just lifting. So there was a lot of feral cattle around um, at that stage, and yeah. So we we looked into it. Um, we I'd saved money from Coolibar. Lizzie had saved money as well, and um, we decided that we were going to go and have a crack at it ourselves. And um, yeah, so we we did, and we got two bull catchers. I bought a helicopter off um, Doug Maxwell in New Zealand, who I used to shoot for. And he was very good with the payments. Um, he gave us an opportunity to get into it. And, um, yeah, dad, um, gave us a little bit of money. And so, did, and Lizzie's parents were amazing. Um, Lizzie's mum and dad basically, um, gave us a loan and, um, had to be paid back. And it was all good. And I'll never forget before I walked out of the door. Um, and these are the words of advice I was given from Liz's father. And I'll never forget him. He looked me dead in the eye and, and he, said, and he shook my hand and said, Willie. And he goes, there's no fucking room for failure here, mate. Like that. And he said, you go and you make it happen. And, um, yeah, I've never forgotten that. So, um, we did. And yeah, we come over and yeah, got into it and, um, went and started inspecting some properties. And I remember flying from Brisbane because the machine come over and then I flew it up to the Northern Territory. And I remember getting halfway across the, that long reach country and, and all sort of started sinking in for me, you know, I was like, Jesus, we still don't have a bull catching job to go to where, um, when you, I was just that hell bent, we're going to make it happen. And I was flying up to check out three or four jobs, you know, on the way. And I was like, fuck me, dude, how am I going to pay for this fuel? You know, I've got this much money in the bank for this. And 
shit if we don't get a job and all those negative thoughts started coming in again and I was I was like Christ you know don't worry about it you'll be right upper and um, you'll make it happen and so yeah, there's a lot of mental side there because you know when you've had a few kicks in the guts like we have it's very hard to you know you, you got to make sure that you stay positive and stay focused and you know be mindful of the past and have respect for it but at the same time don't let it hold you back as well otherwise you know you are going to miss out on opportunities if you're too tentative to have a crack so yeah we did we come up Bohemia was the first place I looked at um, out of the three properties and we did we managed to do a deal there um, with the landowners and um, yeah and that was our first year of bull catching so um, and it all wasn't till August we started that season either and I'll yeah I'll never forget it we um we had some pretty good checks come in that year and it sort of you know got us onto our feet and yeah we're able to to um start breathing again you know and um and we thought you know hang on this is this has definitely got legs um let's make a real go of this let's make a good business out of it and this is the thing that's going to hopefully get us back to farm ownership or you know station ownership between the bits that you guys had managed to pull together, you know, from savings and then, you know, the loan from Liz's parents, did you still have to take out some debt with a bank or a financial institution? Like, because a helicopter, are you able to avoid that? Able to amount? afford it. And to be honest, Steph, there's, um, yeah, I, that was the last thing I wanted to do. That's what I was just wondering. <laughs> yeah. Like, were you just, you know, at least I guess for the most part, if the debt is with her parents, you can be somewhat reasonably confident that they're not going to foreclose on you. <laughs> because I'm oh, just wondering. probably like, tougher. Yeah. Yeah. But you must like, because that must just, if, imagine if you had, had had to get a loan from the bank, especially, you know, machines are expensive. They were expensive. What, yeah. But what, no, look, but cheap must, at that stage, Steph, too. You know, like the recession, as I say, the recession hit all aspects oh, of industry and see yep. helicopters okay. were very cheap in New Zealand at that stage and there was a lot of bad publicity about them, whereas over in Australia, you know, there was a, there's a hell of a good market for, you know, the mustering industry is yeah, what sustains okay. 22s and whereas in New Zealand we don't have that. Um, so I was able to buy this helicopter, like, at that stage it was worth $60,000. Oh, so, my God. What so kind of machine was it? It was an R22, Beta 2, and it had about 700 hours left For on 60 it. 60 grand. 60 grand was all it was I worth back then. I could buy a then. helicopter. Exactly. Today, that same machine, worth probably a quarter of a million. Yeah. So oh that's how God. much. And so There's going to be a lot of pilots crying right now oh. that were too young <clears> to buy a machine. <laughs> and, see, it was things like that. You know, there was a lot of things just aligned. Oh, Good luck with being able to buy a fantastic helicopter, you know, mm. and um, so it was really, really good in that respect. Things were cheaper then, and oh, um, gosh. you know, I remember bloody Avgas. I think it was only about a dollar ten a liter then too. So, you know, it was good, and um, yeah, but no, it was scary. We didn't want a loan from the bank or anything. We had to have a bank account up here, but Lizzie and I made it that yeah, if there was no money in the bank, that you know, we couldn't, we didn't have any debt or anything then. We just had to live off the income from the job and, um, yeah, and it, and it worked really well and was able to grow from there. I guess, I mean, if there's anything that's going to put your relationship to the test, I mean, it's, it's all of this. I mean, you know, you kind of fall in love at a, well, you know, meet at a rodeo, have a romance, you know, you're living on a beautiful family place and, a, and then you get your own places in a, in a part of the world that is very, you know, that is your home. You've got all your support networks. You're doing what you guys both want, you know, with her nursing and your farming and flying. You're able to take those that time off each year to go on the rodeo circuit. Like you had the life you want, and the next minute, you know, like Oof. not. Yeah. And then, but then, the, when you rebuild your life, it's just <clears throat> like 
it, it's like another world. Like it's a whole other life that I'm sure neither of you guys would ever or could ever have anticipated. So how does, how do you go with that? And I suppose the strain that that would have placed on you guys. Cause I mean, I mean, obviously the fact that you guys are still together now and then, you know, have done what you've done, like obviously shows the strength of your relationship, but I'm sure there were days where you were like, crap, we were just, you know, going rodeoing and, and farming and flying and like, you know, we're around all our family in New Zealand and now we're in the bloody wet season out in the Roper region of, oh, I don't know, what do you mm. call that, the Roper region? Whatever yeah. region you call it, call it, you know, like getting eaten by... Carbon dairy. Yeah, yeah God yeah. knows what, bugs and stuff and you're just like, what are, like, are we woken up in an alternate universe? Like, It was a bit like that, but look, Steph, we had, we had no option. Um, Liz is a very resilient girl. She's tough, but yeah, I have taken away, taken her away from everything she's ever known. Um, all her friends, support networks, horses, parents, family, the whole lot. You name it. Yep. My name would be rubbish to her appearance, no doubt, but you know, having to go and do this, but you know, we're resilient people and we wanted to make a go. You know, we wanted to achieve something in life. I, I just, it's the way I am and it's the way she is too. So there was no real time to think about that much. We had a job at hand, an opportunity present, so we wanted to make the best of it and we just hooked in. Um, we worked very, very hard. Um, Liz was bloody amazing, you know, and I just flew and flew and flew and I had a great team. been very lucky. I've, I've always had pretty bloody good staff and, um, you know, at the start, two bull catchers, me in the helicopter, and we just caught bulls, caught bulls, run yards, and we just kept stacking up, stacking up, selling, selling, selling. And, um, you know, we we just didn't stop. You know, we we're still picking up bulls one, two o'clock in the morning and back home unloaded, and then you're gone again just after daylight. You know, the boys would drive out, and I'd meet them on a flat, we'd go again, and we just kept going. And, um, and, and the other thing too, you know, it was an adventure. Um, yeah, it's all very well saying that we've been taken out of our environment, but it was something new. It was exciting, exhilarating. And, you know, and I think that's probably what kept it so fresh for Liz too was, um, you know, and we were working for ourselves. And the best thing and the most important bloody thing was that we we're all together. That was probably the big thing, Steph. We we're all together. Yeah. Our kids had an amazing life growing up, you know, um, didn't have a lot. But we made do with what we had and we were all together and we had a lot of fun. And um, those nights sitting around a campfire and doing all that, you know, with the kids and they learnt to read in the gooseneck, you know. I mean, that's how Liz read them in a bloody gooseneck and um, it was it was just brilliant. And I look back at that time, you know, it was uh, it was great, bloody great. We're sitting in your home right now and you told me not long before we started recording that in the seven or eight years that you've been in Australia this is the first time you guys have had like you've quite literally <clears throat> been living out of a gooseneck or a motor car or something you know camping more or less the entire time until you got this place not that long ago yeah well um we leased we leased Bahania Downs um first three years there were in a gooseneck um, and then we got some dongers, um, and holy hell, that's, that was just like the Hilton, getting dongers and a kitchen, um, like a, it was an old mining kitchen, and then, um, yeah, two rows of dongers, and yeah, that was just amazing. Um, so that was a little pad um, that we had at Bohemia. Um, it was by no means flash, but, but it worked. Um, so that was, I think, yeah, we'd been at Bohemia four years before we got them. Yeah, four years, and so yeah, we'd had four years of travelling around and being in a gooseneck and um, just going, living from job to job, basically, and um, we're a bit of a travelling circus, but 
you know, when we went somewhere, um, everything was loaded up and gone. And then, um, but you know, that was the hard thing. It was on lease country. Um, they were dongers that were put there. And, well, it didn't really feel like a home, you know, but it was a place to hang your hat and do all that. But, you know, it wasn't till we managed to buy the fattening place up here. Um, yeah, this is the first thing we've owned, um, since that, um, horrible time in New Zealand. And yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, now we're a green lawn out the front and a swimming pool there and, you know, a nice deck that we can have a pictures beer and on the wall. Yeah. And that was probably one of the biggest things for me is pictures up on the wall and, um, having an office and, um, it's been a hell of a contrast to the life we used to live. And, um, but yeah, I'm still one that, you know, I'm very, very thankful for. And, um, yeah, so we've, we've had a hell of a lot of help along the way, whether it be pilots, stock agents, you know, previous employers, um, representatives from, you know, elders, landmark, um, nutrient, all those sort of people have, you know, had an influence on us to get to where we are today. And, um, you know, by no, no means yet, you know, we're, we're not finished. And also, you know, we're not out of the woods yet either. You know, we've, we've got some pretty tough times coming, I think in the, in the future that, you know, it's all cycles and trends. And, um, but the biggest, you know, the biggest thing is, is that, you know, we've achieved sort of goal one and that was sort of to get back to owning our own property and, um, yeah, and, and being able to grow our business and, um, you know, and we've effectively done that out of wild cattle and, you know, catching bulls and working those long hours and, you know, living off very little, um, very little treats as we call it. Like we didn't have a lot of chocolates or anything fun like that, but, you know, camp was camp. It was uh, a lot of rice, a lot of potatoes, a lot of beef and, um, shit a hell of a lot of fun, you know, and it's still the place where I feel most comfortable. You know, I love being out in bush and doing all that, but I'll tell you what, the wet season, it's bloody nice being here rather than, you know, we used to have pots and pans out all through the gooseneck just collecting rain that was dripping through the roof. And oh. um, and we're really lucky, you know, the last year at Bohemia, we, there was an old toilet block there that we did up. So when it really pissed down, we could stand on the toilet block and um, listen to the rain on the roof and had a deck chair there and get eaten alive by mosquitoes. But shit, it was it was good time and um, good fun and... You know, and we've been effectively able to, to grow our business from, you know, having the opportunity to lease Bohemia and uh, branched out and, you know, two years, a year ago, bought this place and now we've just purchased Isabel Downs, um, which is another place, uh, 30k South Adelaide River and, you know, and that's going to become the depot and the main hub, you know, of, of all our catching that we do and all the cattle that um you know we we yard or whatever this is this will be their final stop before they go out to the boat so we're really really excited to hook in there and um you know um, it's got a fantastic set of yards and you know it's pretty amazing we've got a, a even a roof over the a shed over the draft there's a six-way draft and a crush and so you can actually stand there you're not in the hot sun and there's a lead you can pull levers to draft cattle out this way and that way and not slugging panels everywhere uh, yeah, I um, but we still slug panels. Like um, all the grunt work is still done out in the open wherever we go. Um, there's a lot of panels still being slugged around, and 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 I really I do um, I hate it at the time setting up panel yards, but when I look back at it, you know I really enjoy it. But oh, really? yeah, yeah, you won't find me saying that. Yeah, Hessian's probably the worst thing, cross, and that's the one thing you've got to be so particular on is that Hessian. So um. Yeah, I'd, I always enjoy, you know, once you see the yard built and, you know, um, and the cattle, you know, they are getting tougher because everyone's chasing the bastards now and there's a lot of spoiled cattle out there. So, 
you have to be very precise with how you put your yard, where you put your yard, and especially your wings. And you know, like, and the people following them in. Once you've got them into the wing, like, there's just so many links in the chain that can, you know, you either have a really, really good yard or a really, really bad one. And don't worry, we've had a few that have taken out Hessian and run back over the top of us. And sometimes, you know, you know, sometimes all you can do is just got to fly away and just laugh. That's all you can do and go, Christ. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, but look, I'm really excited for the future. Um, the way this industry, it's such an exciting industry and, we're starting to get a lot of technology into it now and there's a lot of, you know, there's more opportunities um, out there. And, and one thing I'm really, you know, enjoy is um, pasture and developing properties and then being able to put cattle on them and seeing the results. And, I'm you know, I'm really, really excited to, you know, not for, not only for the catching and, and that side of it, but for the pr- presentation of the animals and like doing and knowing that we're doing the best job possible when it comes to nutrition and feeding them and having feedlot setups and things like that and being close to the boats up here. And um, that's the thing that I'm really keen to get my teeth into now. And, you know, we've got a lot of chaining and stuff to do in this new place and we're hoping to have it all and basically, and you know, good enough that we can, you know, hay production off the whole lot if we want to. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's there, you know, to stack up all the cattle over the wet season and really, um, take advantage of those, um, you know, good opportunity price wise and that, you know, sort of your January through to April. You guys have worked your absolute asses off. Like, I'm not even going to try and say that in a fancy, politically correct way. Like, you have slogged your guts out to get to where you are. For the blocks that you have now, and, and you are planning on, hopefully, you know, if the opportunity arises to acquire more land. Will you have to go through a bank for that at some stage or are you back? I'm just wondering like how, I mean, at some point I think it's like you have to go to a bank to, to buy more, especially with the price of land these days. But I just wonder how you kind of handle that with everything you've been through. Yeah. It's, um, like living God, in bated breath. Like. I've, I've, um, I'm very lucky. We've got a hell of a good bank. Um, very good bank manager. And, um, you know, he's very, very passionate about seeing us move forward. Um, and he's right there beside you. Uh, I got a very good accountant. Um, yeah, Sam Woods from Adelaide and, um, sort of Sam's sort of, he's sort of like the dad of our operation, really. Like every decision has to go through him. And, um, he's sort of always been a good shoulder to lean on and someone who's guided us a lot too. But, um, yeah, the, the banks at this stage seem, seem really, really good. And, um, you know, and our bank manager's just been up now and he spent some time with us and seen all the, the operation and what's happening. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing. You know, I, I learned some very, very valuable skills out of what happened in New Zealand and communication is everything, um, I feel. And as long as we're all on the same page and we all understand what the other expects and, you know, and there's no gray areas, um, you know, hopefully we'll be okay. And um, so now it's just a case of, you know, myself and Phil, our bank manager, Phil Lowe, um, you know, just fine-tuning this place now. And, and then, you know, it's our aim is to get this one really, really sorted and, um, you know, get it producing well and do that. And then, you know, our, our ultimate and our final aim is to purchase our breeder block. Um, and, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky at the moment and, and that, that will replace, you know, Bohemia when the, when the lease comes up and sort of three years time. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably have to move on from there. And, um, you know, and that's been our aim, um, is to 
you know, really establish that breeder block. And then we've got these places up here now which will handle all the young stock and bulls and things like that. Um, I'm hoping that I'll always still catch bulls. I absolutely love it. Um, it's been one of the most funnest, enjoyable jobs. You know, sometimes you just can't believe you're getting paid to, you know, to do this job that we do. And, and um, you know, as it is a business. It's a very hard business um, to run and, and what we do, you know, and very hard to uh, logistically with helicopters and vehicles and trucks and road trains and everything that we've got now that are all links in the chain. But it's very important just, you know, when you arm a bull or do something like that, just to have that bloody smile on your face and just go, you know, well, I'm just doing the best job in the world here. And whether you're flying, um, driving a bull catcher in a truck, or bloody mowing the lawn, you know, it's just, I'm just bloody thankful for all the opportunities and people have helped us get to here and, you know, it's just been wonderful um, and the best job in the world, Steph. I don't know how anyone would want to do anything else, to be honest. It's just bloody fantastic. It's such a testament to your attitude to hear the way you speak about this. Like it, it would be so easy for you to have a very different point of view <clears throat> or perspective on everything that's happened and it could have gone so many different ways. I mean, you guys could have stayed in New Zealand. I suppose one question I do have is that you've come over here, you've, like I said, you've worked your asses off and got to where you are now. And to have the places you have, you, you, you've built some level of wealth. What stops you from cashing that in and taking it back to New Zealand? You know, the, with the way the exchange rate goes and it will be worth more in New Zealand than it is here. Or I don't really know, you know, kind of ballpark. And buying a place back in New Zealand again, going home with all your friends and family. Like, what keeps you here? The thrill of the chase, I suppose, and the fact this country's been extremely good to us. Um, this is my home. Um, I do. I class myself as, a, as an Australian, as a Northern Territory cattleman, you know, from the top end of Gonna Australia. Going to have to work on the accent a bit, mate. Yeah. Oh, it's getting better. Um, <laughs> what did you say earlier? You said something about, oh, about the pets, you know, like the pet animals, guys. Oh, but he goes, the pits, oh, the pits. And I was like, a pit? Bloody a pit of what? Like a soil pit? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we, a yeah. pit in the ground? <laughs> oh, I reckon if, um, if you ever get hold of Frank Hoare, he's the one who's probably given me the most shit out, my, <laughs> out of my life. He was the chief pilot at NIH and... Oh, Frank always used to rubbish me like nothing else about my accent. But even he said to me a while ago, he called in and he even, he classes me now. You know, he said, I don't even notice your Kiwi accent anymore. So I reckon that's high regards coming from Frank Hall, that's for sure. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, definitely, you know, Australia's my home. I don't want to go back to New Zealand. I have no aspiration really at all to go back there. Um, I love the life I've got here. I love catching bulls and, um, you know, and I love having these, you know, team that we have around us and, you know, watching Jack, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's developed into a bloody good little pilot now and, and seeing, you know, and you get a lot of enjoyment from that, seeing your fellas grow and, um, yeah, I, I really do enjoy it and, and Lizzie's flying now and she's flying pretty well. Um, and yeah, we're all here and we're doing what we love and, um, yeah, long may it continue and, you know, I, this, this is, as I say, this is the place I call home and, you know, we want to really just keep going there and get to the next stage of, you know, owning that breeder block. So we'll, we'll keep battling and until that happens and, yeah, we've just, just got to make it happen and, yeah. I am really glad that I do know where you live now because I will be coming back because I feel like 
While we've covered so much in this episode, we've also just scratched the surface and I would love to get you and Lizzie back on together because we haven't even spoken about, I mean, there would be so much. We could do a whole episode just on your life here in the bull catching and being TV stars and, you know, all sorts of other things. But I think what I really wanted to capture in this episode was just this incredible Kind of like the phoenix rising from the ashes. I mean, don't mind me. I, I like to get a little creative with my analogies. And no, I, I think it's quite that dramatic. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. me dramatic? Never, <laughs> never. Yeah. All right, Willie. We've come to that time in the episode. It comes in every episode, as you would know, as a regular listener. For my final question, I'd like to ask, looking back on your life so far, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson? Um, yeah, well, I reckon the main, there's a few takeaway things, you know, have been through a bit, um, some bad, mostly good, you know, but we've experienced a lot and had a lot of fun along the way. Um, I think the big thing is, you know, being able to listen to, to people and understand their story and understand what they're telling you and, you know, having a, having a great team on your side and surrounding yourself with, with good people and, um, you know, learning to take their advice, um, I think that, you know, knowledge is, is, um, you know, is, is a big thing and, and you only get there from, you know, I suppose making mistakes and, um, and, you know, learning from them and, um, yeah, surrounding yourself with bloody good people and, you know, create that network of support around you and, you know, good things will happen. I think, you know, and the big thing for me, you know, um, just never quit, you know, just bloody never quit, never give up, keep striving, you know, if it's a lot of people will tell you these things are unreachable or it's unachievable or whatever, or just, you know, you've got to keep bloody aiming for the moon and got to keep moving, don't ever quit. And um, that's probably the big thing for me. And then also, you know, um, family. Um I've been very fortunate that no matter what we've been through, I've had Lizzie and the children beside me the whole way and, you know, we're a very tight little unit and um, and for me, you know, watching those kids, you know, they're driving tractors and motorbikes and they're just beside us every step of the way and fantastic little kids. So, you know, my, my number one thing is bloody family. Yep, can't beat it. <laughs>